Hello, this is Jane Stavum, Superintendent of the Sioux Falls School District, and this is our podcast. Join us for an audible look inside the Sioux Falls School District, where we'll put a spotlight on the people, places, and practices of our district. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast. I'm Jane Staven, the superintendent of the fabulous Sioux Falls School District. And joining me today is one of our new staff members this year, Dr. Christy Fedden. Christy oversees all of our uh, special services as the senior director, which means great things that we try to provide for our students who might need some extra supports in a variety of ways. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad you could be here because I think there are so many things that maybe people who haven't uh, had a student with an IEP or haven't needed some of those supports along the way just aren't really familiar with. But those who have had the supports really understand the importance. And um, one of the things that I don't think people always know is when those supports have to begin happening for some of our students. So what would be the earliest point that a child could get special services? Well, we are very fortunate that there have been some changes over the years in legislation. So I actually will answer that by saying they can begin at birth. Mm -hmm. And the state of South Dakota has a different structure in regard to providing those services for very young children. But our district will typically step in Um, For children who have very significant disabilities under the age of three, our school district would provide those services. Otherwise, they could potentially receive services through uh, the state, but beginning at birth, so it's wonderful. Early intervention is critical. It is, and, and that can mean so many different things. I think when we put these kind of labels on things, you know, that we use in our edge of speak that not everybody speaks with us when we think of services that can mean anything from maybe a baby that's got some developmental delays to maybe if they were born with a cleft palate that's Mm -hmm. been repaired and needs some speech and swallowing OT PT kinds of things occupational therapy physical therapy shouldn't speak in my acronyms (laughs) Um, but those are some of just many of the the ways that we can intervene early Um, so then they get to school and how do we know if a parent begins to see something or a teacher begins to see something where we think, man, maybe there's something going on, this child just isn't learning at the rate we would expect, what happens then? Great question. And again, we're very fortunate in our district that we have so many individuals in our schools who are very focused on our students. And when students are not achieving or are not engaging in the classroom or working with their their friends in ways that we would expect for a child their age, we have systems in place where a team could come together and start to engage in some problem solving to try to put some supports in place and to help students to improve, um, whether it's academic or social emotional Mm -hmm. or any of those types of areas. So that's one way is we could have a problem solving team that would meet And if students, despite all of the intervention and the additional layers of support that we provide, if they continue to have difficulties, um, whether it's with learning or with engaging in appropriate behaviors, then that's when our team might step in and complete an evaluation for special education. So there's that's one avenue where kids could kind of enter um, 
to receive those additional supports through special education. Other times we have students that move in from other districts, from out of state. Um, so there's lots of different pathways where we make mm-hmm. sure that we support kids. One of those pathways is our best expert, which are parents. Absolutely. And a parent may notice some things at home. Um, I remember a student um, that I worked with along the way, and the parent noticed that they were beginning to struggle reading more and more, and this was kind of brand new. They thought it was because they were sleepy or lazy or just being defiant. Turns out that that child needed some glasses and was having some real issues with their vision. We wouldn't have maybe looked at that in the same way had that parent not filled in some of those blanks. Talk about parents as partners when you're really trying to figure out what's going on. Parents are essential to the problem-solving process. And one of our primary goals in the work that we're doing in special education is really building those relationships with families, building trust, and making sure that they have every opportunity to participate in the process and share information. So parents are able to make referral Um, If they have concerns about their very young child, all the way up to a child that is school age, they're able to let the school district know that they're just noticing that things are not progressing the way that they should. And with the example that you gave is a great example. Um, We really rely on parents to be key partners in the problem solving process. They truly are the expert in their child. They know what is beneficial and what motivates their child to learn. And those are really key pieces as we're collaborating together together to build plans mm-hmm. and support. So if a student um, has a point in time where they need some extra help, maybe it's, it's like you said, maybe it's with reading or math or something that's come up. If a child once has an individualized education plan that helps us know what those supports are, is that something that lasts forever? Or is that something that can eventually go away um, and not be needed anymore? Yes, so an IEP or an individualized education plan that you referenced is the plan that we develop in collaboration with parents, with teachers, to help that child achieve goals that are set by the team. And every year, at a minimum, the team comes together to look at progress, we celebrate success, If a student isn't working toward those goals and objectives in the manner that that or the rate that we would like to see, then we might make adjustments to the plan. There are several situations and we love these celebrations where kids achieve their goals and they no longer need special education services. So there, there is not always a lifelong um, or school age long um, timeline to an IEP, but students are reevaluated every year mm-hmm. by that team to determine progress and need um, for continuing yeah. in those services. And some of our students do have an IEP and receive those services all the way until we're done. And yeah. so when we think about If the earliest time is a baby, Mm -hmm. when do services reach the point where the school district no longer serves them? Yes, so students are eligible to receive those special education services through the year that they turn 21. And again, that's determined on an annual basis by that IEP team. So not all students need to continue on through that that age level, but if a student does need it, we provide a really rich variety of services um, for kids that are young adults and in that transition age program. Yeah. 
So that so. word transition, that's a key word. Yes. Because that's also, I think, a, a frightening time for families. It can be a, just a little bit unsettling. You've had this team of people that you know, you've worked with them for, could be 21, you know, almost years or somewhere in that range if they started in school age, you know, 15 to 17 years. A lot of really great relationships are built. And those students are now becoming adults. And so we want to make sure that we can do a really great handoff as they begin accessing some of the services in our community and as they go on to be successful adults. What does transition mean as we're preparing kids to kind of launch from their school district experience into that adult picture? So transition is really a long couldn't be a long process intentionally. We intentionally want to start early. So we typically, around age 14 or 15, begin those conversations with families because it is a really big and can be a daunting transition Mm -hmm. age that you're moving through with your child. So we start by really looking ahead and looking at graduation requirements, looking at what students need to be successful to achieve those graduation requirements, We have some students who perhaps will continue on um, after the age of 18 and either work toward completing a a program. And again, we set up those goals and objectives um, that we want students to achieve and to work toward. Uh, And then we have some students who then um, will continue on into one of our uh, young adult programs or our transition programs. Um, Project Search is one example and Community Campus is another example. We also partner with multiple community agencies and have some other options in that continuum of of transition services. But it's very individualized, um, and we have some exciting things happening in each of our high schools where we have our employment consultants who support students through that transition phase and are really focused on some of those key employment skills, We help students complete job applications and think about what they might need to say or do in in a job um, interview situation. And we have employment consultants that are supporting our young adults out in employment sites in the city. So that's a really exciting opportunity for kids. We're also very eager to talk about addressing the needs of students who maybe don't fall into the range of potentially moving into a community campus or project search and finding ways to support them during that transition phase as well. Because as, as we know, that is just a really key time. It can be a really emotional time for families, um, for students as they really start to turn from thinking of school and turning into that that adult world and, and what mm-hmm. that might look like for their child with a disability. So, Such a big picture of what may happen during the life mm-hmm. of a child, and it's great that school districts come alongside families. Um, it's not always easy, but that partnership is just so important. And when we think about transitioning to the community, it's so important that we all think about how do we help kids be independent and how do we focus on them with a strengths-based mindset of what can they do and how do we make sure that they can get around if they can't drive how do we make sure they can get the supports they need maybe with visual or auditory services or those great employers that we have in our community who will hire our students and man do they just fly when they get there 
And so many of them even start in high school. And so they've been earning uh, a living. They're able to live independently. And we're just so proud of them. We're going to be talking with a family here in our district on our next part two of this podcast to really hear what that's looked and felt like as this family approaches the time when their child's going to be leaving the school setting and some of the things that we can learn from their journey with Sioux Falls School District. Thank you so much for being with us, and we're so glad to have you here in our district. We have great things ahead as we support our students. Thank you. Today with me is a very special guest. I believe you are the first parent that we've had on the podcast. And so welcome to Becca Chepenko. Got to make sure I get that name right. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, Becca. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. Well, we're here talking about kind of the second part of a podcast, um, focusing on students with special needs who receive special education services and what that looks like as they begin to transition out of being part of our school district into the adult world. So let's go back and get a little bit of history from you and talk about um, the point that you knew that your child was maybe going to need some extra supports. What were some of your first signs or indicators that maybe something wasn't quite right? I had two friends that had children at the same time as I had Skylar. And so we were able to have playdates together and see each other's children kind of doing things. In that first year, it's really important, the sitting up, the rolling over, um, just little babbles and things like that. The other two kids were doing all of that kind of at the same exact time. Mm -hmm. So they were only a month or two apart, the three of them, and they were all sitting up, they were rolling over, they were um, pointing at things and body language, he was doing none of that. Mm -hmm. um, he was a very fussy baby, he cried. I say the whole first year, and my mom can attest to that. You maybe cried <laughs> he, a lot. I cried him. a lot too, there was a lot of tears in our house. He was just seemed very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, whether that was, you know, what he was wearing or just being touched, we weren't sure, but um, you know, we spent a lot of time with a pediatrician and we had Dr. Scott McKercher, who uh, was a godsend to us. He was an incredible um, advocate. Um, but he knew kind of right away, we kind of knew right away, just even about six months that there were some um, learning deficiencies. Uh, we started with birth to three right away, a lot of occupational therapy, speech therapy, just working with him. Um, we worked with uh, the Children's uh, Center as well, uh, and we had Shelly Donovan who came into our house on a regular basis and worked with us well. At about age two, we were fairly certain that the diagnosis would be autism, and so we made an appointment with Dr. Blake at that point, which at the time... Um, was the only person that could diagnose autism um, as a disability, and it took about a year to get into him. So we started treating him at about age two for autism. However, we didn't get that diagnosis until he was about age mm -hmm. three. Sounds like you were really receptive very early on to people coming in to help and support and to do some interventions with Skylar. How did that feel as a parent to let other people come in and help you? Typically, we we think we can do it ourselves, we maybe don't want somebody to know something's mm -hmm. wrong, mm -hmm. or we keep thinking it'll get better mm -hmm. on its own. How did you deal with letting people help you? 
in the beginning, I did really want to do it on my own. I wanted it was he was my first child of four, um, and I wanted to do it by myself. I wanted to be the tough mom. I wanted you know I was boiling pacifiers as they were falling on the floor, and we were you know monitoring how much TV was on in our house and trying to do everything just you know by the book. I, it doesn't take very long to realize that it takes a village, especially when you're dealing with somebody that isn't progressing the way that you anticipated them to. Um, so in the beginning, it was kind of difficult, but it also every single person that came into our house, every doctor, every nurse we dealt with for the last 20 years has been very receptive to Skylar and has been an educational piece, has been a hug, has been a supportive, you know, shoulder to cry on. Everything that we needed, we received. And so for me, it was very easy. I craved those moments when they would come into our house. I craved those interactions and those conversations. And sometimes the playtime that they would do with him would be time for me to do dishes. It would be time for me. I had, I had a nine-month-old daughter, and it was time that I could spend with her. And it gave me breaks throughout. the. He was a flight risk from the time he could walk. You know, so there were those moments, too, where I just appreciated having someone else that was willing to spend time with him and help him. And so yeah. it's it, it was a godsend for it's me. It's intensive parenting. Um, sometimes, depending on the unique things that might happen with a child, you mentioned that he might just leave or walk mm -hmm. out of the house. And usually they do it quietly. Mm -hmm. They don't announce yes. <laughs> when they're going to um, run off. And that's just a really scary thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a hypervigilance, I think, yep. that you sometimes develop around that. So you made it to school age level. Yes. What did that feel like in those first couple years of school? It was difficult because he actually started, um, Hayward had a program for autism. And so we were blessed. But this meant I had to put basically my three and a half year old, four year old on a school bus, you Big know, yellow bus. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, I declined that the first year. I drove him to school and we had a window to his classroom and I would stand at the window and just watched the entire class period. And about day four, the teacher came to me and said, you know, if you're going to be here anyway, we always love volunteers in the library or in the lunch. You know, he's okay. We've got him. You know, like it's okay. And you being here isn't helping the situation. He's going to be okay, which I needed to hear. And it was hard. And I cried every day when I would leave him and be so excited every day when I'd pick him up. And that happened the first year. And then the second year, I did have him ride the bus to school, which, again, was just another, like, letting him be with other people that I knew maybe understood disabilities, but they didn't understand Skylar, you know, and he was my entire world. So it was, mm -hmm. it was very difficult. But throughout the years, we had amazing educational assistants, teachers. I wish I could name each and every teacher that he had because every single one of them played it enormous. Good. And I tell people all the time, I don't know how it is other places, but in Sioux Falls, every school we attended was incredibly helpful. And the reason why he's where he is. Let's talk about where he is. So school progressed. I'm sure you had your ups and downs mm -hmm. with what that looked like. And as the years progress, the work gets a little harder or different. And I think the thing that is so interesting about parenting any child, but particularly a child that you know has some unique needs, is our job as parents is to train them to not need us mm -hmm. and to be independent. It feels so contrary to all of those years that you spend hovering and, and tending to them. How does that feel now as your child is approaching adulthood? What does that feel like 
in terms of his level of preparation, how you feel about um, helping him be independent, mm -hmm. and what that looks like going from a high school picture mm -hmm. to now an adult picture in our community. Sure. We started him a year early in kindergarten knowing or thinking we knew how it was going to be for him. And, and I was encouraged to start him young so that when he needed to repeat grades, he wouldn't end up graduating high school at age 20. Mm -hmm. And so he started really early, graduated high school at 17. He never mm -hmm. once had to repeat a class. He... Um, from the educational side, he never really struggled academically. In fact, none of my other kids will even let him help with homework because he just understands it. It just comes to him very easily. But the social piece has been very difficult throughout the years. He wasn't ever invited to birthday parties. He was never included in activities. He didn't want to be in sports, music, or things like that. So it was very difficult for him to have those relationships. So it's been kind of inclusive to our family leading up to community campus when he graduated and Bobby Williams gave us that opportunity we were like yes please a, a way for him to get out of the house um, it's it's meant he's had to learn how to take the city bus which he left his wallet on at oh, one boy. point he's left his book bag on at one point you know he's had to do some of these things where, where I'm devastated by them you know but they're life lessons that he needed to have we're working on getting him an app for uber or for mm -hmm. lyft so that he can um, have some transportation I cry every time there's a new experience you yeah. know it's difficult for me it rips my heart out every time I have to see him go and be independent whereas with my my girls who are one graduated last year and mm -hmm. one graduating this year it's a different feeling because I know they're gonna be fine you know mm -hmm. I know that they've done some of these things whereas with Skylar it's always been about 10 years prior you know yeah. it feels like he's 12 not like he's 20 right so so that picture of independence sounds like he's figured out the city bus yep. you're right and there's a level of vulnerability mm -hmm. too that you know they may not perceive things danger sometimes isn't Correct. perceived in the same way um, problem solving skills may look different what is your biggest hope mm -hmm. when he has the adult world that's going to receive him. What's your biggest hope for when people encounter Skyler? What would you want them to think about? He's an amazing advocate for himself. We told him he had autism as early as he was able to understand anything else um, emotionally. And we've asked him to advocate for himself and he loves his autism and he loves his, his mission. And if you were to ask him if he could take his autism away he'd be like absolutely not that's what makes me who I am yeah. I love my autism that's how my brain is and and I like it and he loves his life so my hope would be that if people who encounter him want to know about his disability that they would ask questions they would let him tell his story because we have met so many people with different disabilities along the way who just want to educate us just want to help us understand and it makes everybody just a, a more tolerant person to mm -hmm. understand that not everybody's the same, not everybody receives things the same way, everybody walks, talks, you know, the same. So my, my hope is that his journey is a fulfilling journey, that his life is fulfilled with other people who want to know him and understand him as well. Yeah, yeah just that openness, and you think about just the um, society in general, the awareness that's mm -hmm. come along, even just mm -hmm. in the last few years of what yeah. autism is, you see it differently in um, television mm -hmm. and you see it differently represented by different people who have um, represented it maybe in in a movie or something mm -hmm. like that i think
think that's really helpful in helping people realize that they mm-hmm. can be a little more open. Mm-hmm. If you think back now to your experience as a young mother, you think about a new mom out there right now or a new dad who has a child and they're beginning to maybe wonder if there's something wrong, mm-hmm. what would you tell them to do? What's your best advice for them? Ask questions. All the questions. If you ask somebody and they don't know the answer, ask another person. Reach out. Get into your community. I just had a friend who has a daughter who thinks her, her daughter might be autistic, and she reached out to me asking if there were any you know, anyone she could talk to, any, and I, I'm, me, me, <laughs> like, I'll help you, you know, and I'll help you find the right people, because for me, when he was diagnosed, I had never known anyone with autism, I had not known anybody who, who knew anybody with autism, and at the time, I think a lot of it was either being undiagnosed or untreated, um, and it was a death sentence to me, you know, mm-hmm. I was, will he ever speak? We don't know. Will he ever have a job we don't know will he get married will he have children Mm -hmm. will he have a life we don't know and so I would love for people to look at Skylar and say look you know he went to school he graduated National Honor Society he has a job he is functioning in society he has friends he has he's going to go to college you know he's going to do all the things that he wants to do and that might not be everybody Mm -hmm. but it's nice to know that there is that hope there is that peace that your child's going to be fine yeah None of us know the future. None of us know what we can. And it sounds like you were also a parent who believed that that child was capable from the very beginning. And that's just so important. That's what we want to make sure happens for every student and particularly for those who might have some extra layers to deal with Mm -hmm. that are are a little bit more challenging. What was his first word? (laughs) His first word was da. But I'm saying it wasn't dad. It was just mom and mispronounced. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I am sure you were thrilled for many reasons when you heard that first word and that you're thrilled that he is thriving and fun- functioning now as a young adult. So we're at the point now where Skylar is ready to head off into the wonderful world of adulthood. What does he aspire to do? What's his thing? Graphics is his thing. He loves um, computers and all things. Um, he's been a Thomas the Train fan since he was oh, yes. two years old. And so he will go through and watch movies and find the blurps in them and find, and now as he's gotten older, it's uh, 007 and it's Doctor Who and all of these different mm-hmm. things. And he goes through and he can pick out different things in a, in a movie that would have made it better or could have made it stronger, a stronger theme. And so he's going into that graphics um, department because I know that that's kind of, I tried really hard to tell him he was going to be a pharmacist <laughs> because he's so good with the details of things. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, you know, yeah. and then we talked about different and I kept saying, there's got to be something out there that, that will pay the bills, you know. And so then when we went out and, and toured SDI, they go, surprisingly enough, this pays the bills. <laughs> you can trust him and he can do what he wants to do versus just, you know, those yeah. those square boxes that we want to put our kids in. There's so many things out there that you can do with the skills that you have that also yeah. interest you. So. It sounds like he must see the world with a layer of detail that not everybody very sees. Very much. And that's exciting. Yeah. Well, good. We hope that's a very successful career for him and maybe he'll be right here in Sioux Falls working for one of our wonderful business and industry partners. His mama would love that. 
We just appreciate your willingness to come and tell your story. We know that transition is such an important stage for our students in special education as they get ready to launch. And so we're glad to hear that Skylar is launching. <laughs> and um, that's a, a testament to your family as well for supporting him along the way. So thanks for your work uh, supporting him and supporting other families now too as you share your experience. Absolutely, and thank you. Thank you.